Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. The pace of change in the world of work has been at light speed in the past year. With an increasingly competitive battle for talent, the increasing prioritization of employee experience, the increasing need for inclusion and so much more, the question is our organizations and their policies keeping up. Thankfully, we found a company that is certainly leading the way and we're delighted to be joined by Denise White-Hughes, Employee Relations Director at Lidl, or as you may pronounce it, Lidl, Ireland and Northern Ireland. Thank you for joining us, Denise. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for um, having me on the podcast. Really excited. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Insight HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And also, like you, Owen, I refer to Lidl as Lidl in my day-to-day life. So apologies, Denise, if we if we say it incorrectly during <laughs> this podcast. Okay. Well well used to it now. It's, a, it's exciting when someone actually gets it right. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So we learned we, we learn something already, as I say. Uh, so, Denise, we kick off. So can you talk to us about some of the kind of leading policies that you and the team at Lidl have implemented in the past 18 months? Yeah, sure. So we've actually done quite a bit in the last 18 months um, around family-friendly policies and helping parents and, and people who are struggling to become parents in the workplace. The first ones that we launched actually, and it probably wasn't as well publicized, it was um, really an internal one, was our fostering leave. And what was really nice is this was suggested by a colleague who, who fosters and said, is there something more supports that we could do for fostering leave? You know, we've so much on maternity leave and paternity leave and, and there's nothing for fostering. So we introduced that, which I think is a really nice one. As far as I know, not a, a lot of other companies in Ireland do it. I think it's a lot more common in Northern Ireland and definitely in the UK, but in the Republic of Ireland, fostering leave isn't as common. So we introduced that. So we've got three days for your kind of training, your application process and everything that's needed there. And then two days on the placement of a child. And then that's a, an annual entitlement for the, the placement of the child piece. So we just looked around at what other companies do and what we could also implement. So that was kind of the first one where we were trying to do something above and beyond and maybe a little bit outside of the norm. And then last June, we introduced our updated compassionate leave policy, which included the early um, pregnancy loss and miscarriage leave. That one was based on, once again, feedback from colleagues. I've been working for Lidl for 12 years um, this month and have had lots of different roles within HR, but have been front-facing where I'm dealing with employees, questions, queries, concerns, and when people are, are sick. And it's something that unfortunately um, you see come up a lot more than people might have imagined. And then unfortunately, I actually suffered three miscarriages myself while working for Lidl. So it was something that I felt that, yeah, it would be really nice to drive forward with. So we now offer three days paid leave for each loss. And I think importantly, what we felt on the, on the messaging of it, it's not a separate policy, so we talk about it quite separately, but it's just included in our compassionate leave um, policy. So it's just another section in that. 
And what, why I feel that's important is it's recognizing it as a loss like any other. So you're not separating it. You're saying that you need to get compassionate leave no different to if you lost a child that was um, had been born or a parent or a brother or sister that um, were included that in that. So that was really nice and that went down really well and um, with feedback from colleagues. And then continuing on in that kind of vein, then we um, introduced this year our fertility leave. So once again, supporting colleagues who are struggling to become parents. And we did that in, we got um, consultations from some, from some clinics to kind of see what kind of leave is needed, that we didn't just randomly pick some numbers and say, well, that will do. So we try to make sure that everything that we do is kind of informed. So we um, now give two days um, paid leave per cycle of IVF or um, egg freezing. And then importantly, on top of that, it's more about the support. So for the partner who isn't necessarily physically having anything happen to them, that um, they need flexibility for appointments. There can be quite a number of appointments per round of IVF or for other um, fertility treatments. So what we've encouraged people to do is talk to your line manager, tell them what's happening, and we'll absolutely support you in regards to making sure that you can attend at any appointment you need to. And in line with that then, um, and similarly, we did it with the the Compassionate Leave for, for miscarriage. Also, we su- launched support guides so that we have support guides for the, the employee and then a separate one for the line manager. Because once again, throughout the years, feedback that we've gotten is it's all great HR announcing these policies and saying, this is what we do. But when the person actually comes to talk to you, like the line manager may have no experiences in saying, oh, I don't really know what to say. This person has just said they've had a miscarriage or this person's told me they're going through IVF and I don't know what's the right thing to say. I don't know what's the wrong thing to say. So we thought it was really important to empower managers with just basic hints, tips. These are questions that you should ask. Maybe these are things that aren't helpful to say and just explain what the processes are. So we've tried to do that with a lot of policies that we've launched recently, even to mental health in the workplace as well. Last year then, again, we launched our um, menopause supports. This was kind of phase one, if I'm honest, so we, um, that, that will evolve. So we started out with just, once again, talking to the business and making people aware what menopause is. Once again, people think it's not something that everyone needs to worry about, whereas unlike fertility or, or, or miscarriage, we can guarantee that 50% of the workforce is going to be affected by menopause at some stage. And so we... Once again, an information campaign, let people know what it is, what the signs are, what the symptoms are, what people might need, the support guides for managers and for employees. And then in addition to that, we're paying for private consultations for people through the the menopause hub. So if they want to go and get a a full health check, um, that we're um, supporting them in that as well. So yeah, in addition to that as well, we've got menopause buddies. So we've trained people throughout the business who have volunteered to say, I'd like to be a menopause buddy. And really it's just quite a simple thing that if you're going through the menopause or think you might be soon and want more information that we can link you up with somebody then who has a bit more training on the area, has a bit more information they can talk to rather than always being the manager that sometimes it's nice for, um, for a colleague. So we try in the business to kind of have that buddy system. So we have that as well with people coming back from maternity leave, the same thing. If you're coming back and you're like, how do I balance childcare and work? What do you do? How do you manage it that you've got somebody that you can talk to? And once again, we did the same with the the miscarriage MP. So launched a buddy program. So people, they want to vent to someone else who's gone through the same thing rather than always just being, you know, you can have really good friends and even family, but unless you've gone through it, you don't fully understand like most things. And then the most recent one is the retirement piece. So that was, oh, I think it was last month now um, that we, yeah, 
removed our retirement age officially from our contracts and that will no longer be implementing it. So another one that we're really proud of um, and yeah, want to see that continue with the diversity and making sure that we're including all walks of life and all ages in the workforce. Brilliant. ton of really people-centric policies. That's brilliant. Brilliant to see so much impact on, I suppose, even from particular well done to yourself and the team, Denise, for being able to turn, I suppose, personal experience into impact and support for people at the other side of things. So that's that's huge and, and great to hear about all those. The one you mentioned there last, I suppose, the removal of the mandatory retirement age, that's something that's got a lot of attention. It was well documented in the media in recent weeks. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Because that's one that really kind of shook things up, I think. Yeah, to be honest, it was actually quite an easy decision in the end. We already have a very diverse workforce and we want to continue that and we want to encourage that more. We already had a number of employees who had worked past retirement age, but it was always on a a case-by-case basis. So we never kind of was always like if someone wanted to, we would allow them to. So, and it kind of, to be honest, it got to the point where like, when are we ever going to not want to let someone to continue working? When is that situation ever going to arise? And then we kind of thought, well, it's not going to. So we said, well, then why have this in a contract? Why have this policy? So let's remove it and make sure that everyone knows that you don't need to worry about being forced to retire. That's not going to happen. And just making it more public that there's no need to have it in there when we weren't going to apply it anyways. So make sure that people feel assured that they can continue working, that no one's panicking, that they're coming up to their 65th birthday and saying, oh, what's going to happen now that we have we have it out there for everybody? And then also that we can recruit people at an older age where they might not want even applied for us before because they might have thought they mightn't employ people of that age. So it's kind of to make sure our current employees feel safe and assured that they've got a job and that also then from a recruitment perspective. Absolutely. And I suppose, Mary, is this a challenge from a challenge for businesses from what we hear, the whole area of policies in the sense that I suppose are they finding it tough to keep up to date with policies, tying them to business strategy, or even are they struggling with the confidence to, to really kind of break through like some of the, 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 the policies that lead to put in? Yeah, I I think, you, you know, there are mandatory policies that you need to have in place, you know, like your discipline, your grievance, your dignity at, uh, at work policies. You know, there's uh, some policies that are mandatory that you must have and then others that it might be best practice. And then what Denise is talking about here is going that step further um, in support of employees and offering, I suppose, a range of benefits, supports and really opening up conversations and the workplace. Um, So they're the, I suppose, the nice to have uh, policies and procedures. But in an environment where, uh, irrespective of the sector, you're competing for talent, um, these policies actually really do matter. And more and more from an organisational perspective, having policies that have a meaningful impact on somebody's life outside of standard ones like your annual leave and your sick leave policies and and the things that we've had forever. And I think it's one of the great gifts from the pandemic, an era that I think I heard described as the golden era from an employee perspective, where employers are actually looking more carefully and more thoughtfully at their 
demographic and thinking, how can we support people? Uh, how can we help people better balance their lives than we ever have done before? And, you know, when someone like Denise talks about her personal experience of miscarriage and being able to express that openly on a podcast, in the workplace, uh, amongst her colleagues, that's very, very powerful. Uh, certainly, I had a, a miscarriage myself years ago and the difference was it was not discussed. Nobody in my workplace discussed it with me. It was only ever discussed in private with my family. And I went into work every day and struggled and hid the reality of an experience for me. And many, many women of my generation have done so. And it's fantastic to see an organisation like Lidl uh, lead the way here in some of those policies that really have an impact and a meaning for the individuals concerned. It doesn't apply to everyone. We know that. But these policies are important and they're powerful uh, and they're supportive of people's lives. And if you're listening carefully to your employees, they will guide you in terms of the things that matter to them, whether that's around sustainability, whether it's around ethical business practices, whether it's around benefits that have an impact for them personally. When we're looking at the development of our policies, it's not just about what protects the organisation. It also has to look at protecting both the organisation and the employee themselves. And that meaningful impact piece is huge. I think it's very clear from many of the policies you've both spoken about there that it really does have that meaningful impact on those who, who use them. I suppose Denise, linked to that from a business perspective, and again, that's it's not exclusive of what we just said about meaningful impact. What was your end goal for the business when you were implementing these kind of new policies? I suppose the end goal is to be seen as an employer of choice so that we can attract and more importantly retain the best candidates and employees. We review salaries annually and we are extremely competitive in the market when it comes to salary. However, and linked back to what Mary was saying, we're aware that now more than ever, people want more than just money. There's things that are more important to them. And I think everyone took time to reflect over the pandemic about what's most important to them. And I think that people want to know that an employer is going to support them throughout life. And that's one of the main reasons, the focus behind the policies that we've been launching, that we've looked at having a family, struggling to have a family, menopause, retirement. And there's still a broad spectrum that we have to look at. I'm aware that, you know, you don't want to just focus on the family-centric things. There's a huge majority of the workforce. They might have families but not have children or not be parents. So making sure that we are, are looking at everyone. But really, that's it. The end goal is making sure that we can get the best people in, keep the best people and making sure that we're looking at what's important to them and using, you know, all the different listening strategies that we have across the business to get feedback and hearing about what people actually want. That's key. Absolutely. We've kind of touched on, I suppose, the driving forces, Mary. And my next question, I suppose, is around that. What tends to be the force that kind of drives the creation of these kind of policies? Is it, I know we spoke about internal employee appetite, market forces, meaningful impact. I suppose it's probably a bit of everything when it comes to what's behind these changes, isn't it? 
<laughs> no, what I was going to say is for us, it definitely is that internal employee voice. So whether it's through surveys or I mentioned with the fostering leave that we have, um, it's called Ideas Hub um, internally. So you can just put through an idea of anything that you think would be good for the business. And it actually came from a, a deputy store manager in one of their Northern Ireland stores for the fostering leave. Um, and yeah, as I said, I'm very open about the, the miscarriage piece. And, and it kind of, for me, almost links back to what we talk about with DNI and representation that you need to have a broad spectrum of people from different backgrounds with different life experiences in management levels because ultimately everyone has a passion about something and is going to drive it so whether that's me and the the miscarriage support policies our, our um, chief people officer Maeve McLean will talk to anyone who will listen about menopause and she is absolutely the driving force behind that and for me that's why it's so important that we have representation at senior levels and then those people uh, personally I feel I have to use my voice like if when we talk about gender and gender pay gaps and representation of women, that if you climb that ladder and then don't try and support other women or other people, then kind of what's the point? You Then you just have diversity for the sake of it, but we're not actually using it. So um, it, it all links back to that for me. Absolutely. And same question to yourself, Mary. I think that wider impact is probably a big part of it as well when you talk about the driving force behind these policies and isn't it? Fundamentally, I guess, for every organization, I, I do say this a lot on, on the podcast, but, you know, from a business perspective, your main goal is to achieve your organizational strategy, whatever that strategy is. And you need people to deliver upon that strategy and you need the right people in the right place at the right time in order for you to be effective to do that. And, you know, while policies and procedures are important from a protection perspective, but they're also important from an attraction and a retention perspective. And for organisations, it's important that the policies and procedures you have there are reflective of the demographic that you have and that you're trying to attract into the organization and trying to retain. And so different organizations have different requirements when it comes to the policies and procedures that they implement. And so, you know, it is important that you think about that very carefully and you look and listen to your employee voice so that you understand that well. And it's always been one of those tough nuts to crack in terms of, you know, you might have uh, a particular demographic, whether that's younger or older within your organisation. And that may not be because you're specifically trying to hire younger or older people. It might simply be because that's the nature of the business, that's the nature of the sector, like, for instance, nursing, which is predominantly female, or, you know, engineering, which might be predominantly male in certain sectors. And certainly at the point when women have children is when you start to notice those differences where women may drop out of the workforce and, and a sector might become predominantly one type or the other. And it's important that you're 
you know, not forgetting everybody within the organisation, whether that's older people, younger people, male, female, transgender, transsexual, you know, there's so many different requirements in the workplace. And it's really about looking at the organisation, what you want to achieve, how to attract people there, how to promote open cultures, uh, which are diverse and inclusive, which allows the organisation to deliver on its strategy. And if you're making a choice as an employee about what organisation you go to, an organisation that meets your needs and allows you to feel like you belong and supports the things that you might experience in your life are very powerful. And people will think twice about wishing to work for them or not wishing to work for them. I think what's also really important about that, Mary, and a lesson that we learned in in, in the past 12 months is when you talk about policies and they might not affect every person, but it's about the message that it sends to the entire organisation. So we launched our, our gender identity and gender recognition policy earlier on in the summer, just after Pride. And it's something, not that, that we were sitting on, but you're looking at the workforce and you're looking at, okay, the percentage of employees that this will probably impact it. And I was thinking, you know, it's very small that we need to drive with policies that affect more people. And you don't want to have an impression of the company that, you know, HR focusing on things that actually don't impact the whole business. But it's actually the opposite because it might not actually affect that individual, but it says something more about the business that people get behind. It's like, okay, that policy might not be for me, but I'm really proud that, you know, Lidl endorses it, that Lidl are working on it, that I know that if I knew someone or a family member or whoever, that they would be supported. So sometimes we get wrapped up on, and and I definitely did, okay, we need to make sure that we're doing everything that's for the masses. But actually sometimes that those positive policies, even if it doesn't particularly affect you. It's the message about how they feel, how they trust the company, how they feel about the company and what the company is trying to do to support everybody. And that was the lesson that I definitely learned. 100% and slightly linked to that, Denise, I suppose. What have the results been like? Uh, has there been much uptake? Have you seen any kind of tangible changes in the organisation? Oh, the, the attention has obviously been brilliant. Yeah, look, for me, the biggest result is probably the feedback that we've received. So either the, the personal emails or the commentary on our internal comms. Yeah, I know that that's made a, a massive, a massive difference to people that we've had so much. Um, a lot of the policies that we're talking about, there won't be as strong tangibles. But once again, as I said, like when people have used the menopause hub for the the health checks that we um, talked about that, you know, I've had emails back being like, this has been life changing for me or um, just, the fr- yeah, everything from the fertility to the, the miscarriage to people just saying this has been so positive. So they're the kind of the real impacts that we can see. I, I suppose from a a, a more metric um, basis that we can see this year in the the rep track results that Lidl was the the most reputable grocery retailer and third most reputable company in Ireland. So it has to all be linked back, and we see from the feedback that we get from those. So yeah, there's definitely some positive that we can see coming from all the work that we're doing. Definitely, and I suppose we spoke to Sinead Morgan from RDJ Solicitors recently, Denise, about the menopause in the workplace, and a big part of that was the support and awareness piece. So I suppose, Mary, that kind of falls underneath this as well. A lot of it is just about that awareness and support, Mary, for people in the organisation, isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess for so long, you know, there has been that clear distinction between your life and your work. And actually, you spend so much 
more of your time or at least your waking time at work than you do in in most other things that you do in your life that it's hugely important that there is acceptance of you and you can bring your whole self to work and whether that's you going through the menopause or having a miscarriage or struggling with fertility or coming out or whatever it is to be able to go to work and and not hide yourself and not hide the really significant things that are happening to you from your colleagues, from your manager, from, you know, your employer. It it means that you can come to work and maybe there's a dip in your performance for a particular reason or you're emotional or things aren't going your way. And knowing that there's somebody that you can reach out to to speak to uh, for support or reach out and look for accommodations from is powerful and is important. And, and that's right across the board, irrespective of whether you're male, female, transgender, whatever the situation, it, it's it's important that those supports are in place. And that's what employees want and are looking for and are demanding from the workplace. So organisations that don't offer this anymore, uh, or not anymore, but don't offer it in the first place, risk being left behind. Absolutely. So I suppose the big question to to kind of finish up with, and it's something I might ask you both, uh, I'll come to yourself first, Denise, and then then over to Mary. What advice would you give organisations needs to want to kind of update their policies but don't really know where to start? Any kind of tips and tricks around listening to employees, that kind of thing? I think that that's the biggest tip, listen to employees. So whether you do annual surveys or create new surveys um, or, yeah, so we have like a, an annual survey that we do that's kind of, you know, about general satisfaction within the business. We've got the Ideas Hub, which really keeps us on our toes of, of what people want. We have like specific diversity and inclusion survey and we do an annual one on kind of our well-being strategy. So we've got lots of different tools, whether it's through new starter surveys and exit surveys. So we are inundated with employee opinions. So listen to that and maybe start with the things that that are, are, are your quick wins. Maybe the not so complex things. Think about what's actually quite easy to implement um, and start with those and then build on it and, and make sure that you've got the support of senior management. That's really important because these things aren't going to land if it's seen as just a, a document, a piece of paper. And that's why having employees at the face of them is so important. Um, and that's something that we really try to do. And that helps because it's putting a face to it. It's not just a policy. So whether it was me talking about miscarriage, we had um, a sales operation manager from a retail sector talking about Kate Bohan, talking about fertility. You saw that we had some of our colleagues there um, for the retirement piece. So we always try to have a face for it. And it's not always easy easy to find someone who wants to be the face for some of these things, but um, it makes it more personable rather than, I said, just a post about here's our new policy. When you have someone talking about how it impacts them, that's massive. So I would definitely encourage if you can get people to volunteer, that's really um, helpful. So yeah, listen to what employees want. Start with maybe some of the easier things and, and include your employees in, in the communication. And same question to yourself, Mary, anything to kind of add there around kind of tips and tricks, general kind of guidance? Yeah, I I think sometimes, you know, when we say things like, you know, listen to our employees and and there's probably some of our listeners going, well, how do we actually listen to them? You know, do I speak to individuals? Do I do surveys? How is it that we go about that? And I always think a combination of both is important. 
Um, you know, and I often say this to HR managers, you know, you've got to get behind the surveys too, because there is some evidence that, you know, what an employee will say within a survey that's going back into HR may not be quite the same as what they would say in person if they were spoken to in a one-to-one basis. So I always think it's good to combine the two, you know, do your surveys, whether they're annual or pulse or whatever name you put on the way in which you engage with people and how you collect the data. And then go in behind that and and speak to a sample of the workforce. And, you know, it's it's worth looking at, well, you know, what's our breakdown in terms of male, female? Who do we need to speak to? What sections of the business do we need to speak to? And get in under the data and, and try and get, well, what's the individual experience like? And again, gather your data and look at it right across the board from both the survey perspective and also the individual data that you collect. And then it's really about, well, well, so what? What am I going to do? Because you can collect all the data in the world and, and there's lots of HR practitioners and people practitioners out there that are brilliant at doing the surveys. But what's going to happen once you've got the data? What are you going to do with the data? How are you going to translate that data into actionable steps that mean something to the employee body that's going to help the organization get out there and attract and retain the talent and put in place meaningful policies, procedures, programs, awareness programs, information. One thing that I really like, Denise, from what you have talked about is, you know, your policies aren't just presented out there in the form of a handbook or policies on an internet somewhere or there's a hub for employees where they can go to. Lots of organisations have that, but what they miss are the tips for managers because what could be worse if you see that there's a menopause policy in place and you actually do go and approach your manager and your manager doesn't know what to say to you, is embarrassed by the nature of the conversation that you're having, makes stupid comments or inappropriate comments or uh, thoughtless comments, um, and your, your point of risk is there. So if you don't teach your managers how to respond to those really difficult conversations, because if you imagine how vulnerable somebody might be who's going through the menopause or who has a fertility issue and is undergoing fertility treatments, uh, who has just had a miscarriage, who has a newly acquired disability or an illness or something like that. And when they go to their manager, if the manager doesn't believe them or doesn't see the importance of it or doesn't understand what somebody might be going through and doesn't know how to react, then you have risk. Then you have the potential for litigation. You have the risk of someone being unhappy and disgruntled and you have the risk of someone leaving the organisation and talking badly about the organisation. So when we look at things like employer brand, you know, what is it? It's not a social media campaign. It's not a PR exercise. It's what the real people living in your organisation feel about the organisation and what they're saying out there to 
their wider community, their friends, their family, their colleagues about their experience of working in your organisation. And that's the power of it. Uh, And that's what they might be saying in person, but they might also be saying it on uh, platforms like Glassdoor, where more and more people now, it's not simply transactional. It's not just um, I'm thinking about going to a new employer. Well, you know what? I'm going to Google you. Uh, I'm going to look at LinkedIn. I'm going to look at Facebook. I'm going to look at your website. I'm going to look at Glassdoor. I'm going to look and see what comments there are out there about your organization before I even think about joining you. And in the same way, before we go on a holiday, before we uh, go to a hotel, before we um, buy a product, you know, how often do we now Google before we buy a, a moisturizer and see what the reviews are? How often do we review the hotel we're going to, the resort we're going to, the place we're going to? It's exactly the same thing. Employer brand is a delicate thing. And negative feedback about your organization can be extremely damaging in your attraction and your retention efforts. Absolutely. And it's great to hear from a, a company like Lidl who's put so much thought and effort into it and that meaningful impact piece we spoke about earlier um, was obviously hugely important. So a huge thank you to Denise and to Mary for a very insightful discussion. A lot of practical tips there and I know I learned a lot from it too, so I really enjoyed that. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And of course, join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Denise. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.